Um, so my father was a very anxious person. Um, fortunately, that skips a generation and I'm completely chill. Um, maybe not. Um, but anyway, in his later years, he had a small car accident and he stopped driving beyond just a few blocks radius um, of his home. So when we wanted to spend time together, I would go pick him up. Uh, one day he had an appointment. So I called him the night before to make arrangements. And I was like, okay, so your appointment's downtown at 1130. So I'll pick you up at 1045. That'll give us plenty of time to drive and park and get checked in. And he goes, okay, you'll pick me up at 1045. I was like, yep. And he goes, okay, call me when you're on your way. Okay, I'll call you when I'm on my way. He goes, uh, I'm going to need a lot of time to get ready, so uh, call me at 8 o'clock and make sure I'm up. <laughs> okay, Daddy, I'll call you at 8. You'll call me at 8? Yeah, I'll call you at 8. You know, well, what if you forget? <laughs> um, uh, what, what if I forget? I I don't, I, what if I, I don't know. What if I forget? Well, if I forget, then I will have forgotten. And I mean, I don't know. We'll be out of luck. We'll have to reschedule the appointment. I mean, like, I don't, I don't have a plan for forgetting. I mean, you know, I, I write things down. I set alarms on my phone so that I don't forget. But, you know, I mean, sometimes I flake out and something slips through the cracks. I am human. Um, that did very little to reassure my father in that moment. Uh, but fortunately, the chapters that we're studying today, 2 Samuel 8 through 10, they are reassuring. Because in these chapters, we see very clearly that God does not forget. He keeps his promises. And because God is faithful, David actually keeps his promises too. So in the bookends in chapters 8 and 10, through all of those battle summaries, we actually see God keeping his promises to David. Last week we read in chapter 7 about God promising to make David's name great. He promised to appoint a place for his people to dwell secure, no longer afflicted by violent men to plant them and give them rest from their enemies. And now in chapter 8, the Philistines, that perpetual oppressor, has been subdued. Got Moab, Zobah, Ammon, Amalek, Edom, Syria, they're all defeated. And then seeing the writing on the wall, Hamath comes in willing submission and makes peace. There is that promised rest. God is faithful. In his book, Attributes of God, A.W. Pink summarizes the quality of God's faithfulness, saying, He never forgets, never fails, never falters, never forfeits his word, and this is the basis of our confidence in him. We need not worry that God's promises will not be kept. God does not find loopholes or activate contingency clauses when he covenants with his people. The greatest proof of this actually came later in one of those other chapter 7 promises to David, 
that an offspring would come from him whose kingdom would be made sure forever. And we know that Jesus came bringing that eternal kingdom. God never forfeits his word. Neither should we worry that God may set out with good intentions, but find himself unable to fulfill his obligations. After all, Hebrews 3 tells us, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus confirmed this by his resurrection. Nothing is too hard for him. He is able to keep his promises. He never falters, never fails. And fear not, God does not forget. Deuteronomy 4.31 reminds us, for he is a merciful God. He will not let you down or destroy you, for he cannot forget the covenant. I believe that it's this confidence in a promise-keeping God that enabled David to keep his promises as well. We saw in chapter 9 that David keeps his promises to Jonathan and Saul. The one in question was made back in 1 Samuel 20 when Jonathan asked, And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And then in chapter 24, Saul pleaded, Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. But practically speaking, a lot has happened since then. David got married. Several times, actually. His best friend and the recipient of those promises had died. He had become embroiled in a civil war and all that political mess with Abner and Joab and Ishbosheth. And now... He carries the weight of the crown, fighting the battles of all Israel. Commentators say maybe 15 years have passed. I would totally understand if David forgot. I recently got a call from my son's school at 2.45 on a Tuesday afternoon, just curious if I was planning to pick him up that day. Since school gets out at 2.30 on Tuesday and not at 3 o'clock like it does on Wednesday, Yeah, I totally forgot, and I wasn't even fighting Philistines. But David, David did not forget, and he did not falter. I think that because God had been so faithful to fulfill his promises to David, that the king had no reason to pull back from his own commitments. He wanted to be faithful to God by building a temple and bringing the ark back to Jerusalem to restore right worship. Now, there had been some missteps in there for sure, but David had attempted to honor God. And now in chapter 9, it's time for him to honor his word. It was common practice for a new king to completely wipe out a former ruler's family line to eliminate threats to the king's authority. But because David seems to understand that his position is a gift from God, he's not afraid to seek out a member of the house of Saul, his enemy, to befriend him. 
His faith in a promise-keeping God gives David the confidence to keep the covenant that he had made with Jonathan. Now, I thought this was interesting, too. Okay, you could argue that David technically had already met the covenant requirements. He said he wouldn't destroy the name of Saul's house completely, and he hadn't. A grandson survived. Great. He could have wished him well and gotten on with his king business. But instead, David goes further, remembering the steadfast love that he vowed to Jonathan's house. And we get this beautiful picture of the gospel. Like Christ, not only does David show mercy by sparing Mephibosheth's life, the way that Jesus spares us from the eternal death that we deserve. But David also graciously lavishes him with kindness. He offers this crippled boy who by all customs should have been his enemy, table fellowship. This, as Dr. Young mentioned on Sunday, was a significant sign of peace and friendship. Jesus pours out his grace on us likewise, inviting us to sit at his table. We were all born enemies of God, helpless in our sinful state, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoiced in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God like Mephibosheth was treated as a son? So we are. For in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. That's Ephesians 1.7. And we know, we saw in our homework, that he prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Our cup overflows Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As David did for Mephibosheth, much more has Jesus done for us. And Mephibosheth, for his part, he also responded wisely. He was not insulted that the king recognized his helplessness. He didn't cling to some misguided pride in a defunct dynasty. He fell on his face in humble submission to this covenant-keeping Savior, and he accepted his gift of mercy, provision, and fellowship. He drew near and ate always at the king's table. And I hope that we will, too. We've already pulled up a chair today to feast on God's word. So we see in this image of the gospel that we get in chapter 9 with David and Mephibosheth that clearly 
I am the helpless enemy, forgiven and brought near by the gracious king. But I think if we shift our focus and look um, and step into David's shoes, there's a different lesson that we can learn too. Now remember I claimed earlier that David's faith in a promise-keeping God gave him confidence to keep the covenant that he had made with Jonathan. David was not anxious about the threat of Saul's survivors because God had said that his kingdom was secure. God had kept his promises to defeat the surrounding enemies. David could move forward in confidence in God's future dependability because he had already proven his steadfastness. A.W. Pink challenges us to do the same, saying, I'm going to quote Pink now, It is one thing to accept the faithfulness of God as a divine truth. It is quite another to act upon it. God has given us many exceeding great and precious promises, but are we really counting on his fulfillment of them? Are we actually expecting him to do for us all that he has said? Are we resting with implicit assurance on these words? He is faithful that promised. Hebrews 10.23 John Piper also claims that the root cause of anxiety is a failure to trust all that God has promised to be for us in Jesus. Perhaps my father was right to be anxious that I would forget him. But we can be confident that God will do for us all that he has said. So I'd like to close today by remembering a few of those promises from God. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things, what you should eat or drink or wear, all of those things will be added to you. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10.13, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Lamentations 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Cling to these promises when you're worried or afraid or even tempted toward self-reliance. Because as Hebrews 10 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Thank you all.